Do you ever feel trapped and weighed down? Like you're surrounded by people or circumstances or events that are beyond your capability to handle? Well, the Bible has examples of psalms from people who are feeling overwhelmed and who have been placed in positions where they feel trapped and surrounded. How can you biblically cry out to God while in the midst of the pressure cooker of life's events? In Psalm 4, King David provides a template for responding to unforeseen or seemingly suffocating circumstances, a template for trusting God through overwhelming events. Answer me when I call God of my righteousness. Give me relief from my distress. Have mercy on me and hear my prayer. You sons of men, how long shall my glory be turned into dishonor? Will you love vanity and seek after falsehood? Selah. But know that Yahweh has set apart for himself him who is godly. Yahweh will hear when I call. Stand in awe and don't sin. Search your own heart on your bed and be still. Selah. Offer the sacrifices of righteousness. Put your trust in Yahweh. Many say, who will show us any good? Yahweh, let the light of your face shine on us. You have put gladness in my heart more than when their grain and their new wine are increased. In peace I will both lay myself down and sleep, for you, Yahweh, alone make me live in safety. For the chief musician with the flutes, a psalm by David. Psalm 4. Welcome back to From Hevel to Eternity, my Bible study podcast. I'm Brian, and today we're doing a standalone study. Next week, the plan is to jump back into the Minor Prophets. We have completed the first nine, and we'll finish the home stretch over the next month. But for now, we're going to turn our attention towards Psalm number four. So Psalm four is a trust song directed at the Lord. It is a prayer, yes, but it is also a worship song that aims for us to find reassurance and trust in God. We can see clues of it being a song in the notes, a psalm by David for the chief musician with the flutes, and also through the notation Selah, found twice in the psalm. Selah is thought to be a notation for music directors, denoting a dramatic pause in the music, a pause for effect, if you will. It is a psalm that covers a wide range of emotions. It is part a lament psalm with David lamenting the current situations of his life. It is in part an evangelistic psalm with David pleading for his adversaries to turn toward God and chase after the things of God instead of worldly vanities and lies. It is in part a meditation psalm that should focus us to contemplate our own spiritual state. And it is in part a worship psalm, reminding its readers of the characteristics and promises of God, then reflecting on the peace and joy we should find as we remember that God alone can provide us with eternal safety and security. I pray as we walk through this psalm that we can have our prayers refocused, empowered by who our God is. I also pray that our hearts can be uplifted by finding peace and trust and joy and security in what our God has promised us. 
some background and context for this psalm. So Psalm 4 might be connected to the same time period as Psalm 3. Psalm 3 typically has the title revolving around a morning psalm or a new day psalm, while Psalm 4 is typically titled an evening psalm or a nighttime prayer. Both are by King David and both might be related to a time in King David's life when he was forced to flee from Jerusalem during an attempted coup by his own son. We find the story in 2 Samuel chapters 15 through 17. Here we find Absalom, who is a favored son of David and a very handsome man according to the Bible. He has worked with leaders throughout the kingdom and he conspires to take over the nation from his father, King David. He basically executes a coup, claims the throne in Jerusalem, and temporarily becomes king of Israel. At the time he makes his move, 2 Samuel 15 verses 13 and 14 say, A messenger came to David, saying, The hearts of the men of Israel are after Absalom. David said to all his servants who were with him at Jerusalem, Arise and let us flee, for else none of us shall escape from Absalom. Make speed to depart, lest he overtakes us quickly and bring down evil on us, and strike the city with the edge of the sword. So David has to go into hiding fleeing throughout Israel as his kingdom falls under Absalom's control and the new king's men try to hunt down David. Psalm 3 certainly was written during this time, and Psalm 4 might have been as well. A time when David was literally forced off of the throne and found his life and his kingdom in peril. It would certainly put context to the desperate emotions of the psalm. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. Psalm 4, verse 1, ESV translation. This psalm starts with a passionate plea, both to God and about God. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. But right in the middle of verse 1, we also get a pretty major difference between some of the translations. The difference really focuses on the tense in the middle section of the verse. Is it past or present tense? So the NLT, the NIV, and the World English Bible all make the statement as a plea for future relief. Something along the lines of, give me relief from my distress. Where the ESV, the NASB, the CSB, and the King James all make the statement a reflection on who God is and what God has already brought David through. You have given me relief when I was in distress. So I tend to lean toward the past tense interpretation, that David is remembering previous blessings and deliverances from God, both big and small. The phrase, relieved me, can mean provided enough space to move. So even though David is under extreme pressure and is feeling suffocated by his circumstances, he can still proclaim that God has given him enough room to breathe. David can find a little reassurance here in verse 1 by recognizing that as bad as things are and as surrounded as he might be, God has still blessed him with the ability to worship God and to cry out to Yahweh for additional help and reassurance. How often do we feel a crushing pressure, like there's this weight on our chests? How beneficial would it be for us during those circumstances to start our prayers by remembering that God has already provided some relief to our lives? 
that he has delivered us before and he has given us enough breath to pray to him now. I know that when I am feeling overcome by anxiety or stress or external pressure, I have a hard time finding peace. And sometimes my prayers are just this exasperated call to the Lord that probably sounds more like Jonah railing at God than David recognizing what God has already done for him. One of the things I have taken out of this psalm is that when I am feeling under pressure, maybe at night just lying in bed unable to find peace to fall asleep, I should start my prayers by recognizing that God has given me some relief already. He has given me a relationship with him, and I can still communicate with him through prayer. Simply reminding myself that God has granted me the ability to cry out to him in my pain and anguish is reminder enough of the blessings that I have been given. We'll notice that even though David is crying out, Answer me when I call, O Lord, hear my prayer. He is already starting to recalibrate his mood into a praise and worship mindset. I think that if we can start to do more of that, we might see some of our prayers turn from desperate pleas to joyous worship. How long, exalted ones, will my honor be insulted? How long will you love what is worthless and pursue a lie? Selah. Psalm 4, verse 2, CSB translation. Verse 2 is interesting because it is a plea directed at men. In this prayer directed vertically toward God, we get a proclamation that is focused horizontally at the enemies of David who are closing in on him. So, in verse 1, King David asks God to hear his prayer while still recognizing how God has worked in his life already. And then here in verse 2, David takes time to ask God to refocus the hearts of his enemies. He speaks first to God and then to men. As Charles Ryrie writes, David appeals to the rebels to have second thoughts. David recognizes through his prayers all the time that he needs to repent and be brought closer to God. But he also keeps in mind the truth that his adversaries need to repent and be brought closer to God also. So despite being closed in on by people who want to destroy him, David recognizes that they need to be transformed by God. That apart from turning toward God themselves, they will never be granted the leadership and healing that Israel required. I'll admit, I don't do this often enough during times of stress or frustration or anxiety. Sometimes I'll focus on bringing myself closer to God, but often not enough do I pray for my enemies to be brought closer to God also. I need to do more of this, and I'll admit that. David directs this passage at his enemies, but this is a question that could also be directed at myself constantly as well. How long will you love what is worthless and pursue a lie? We need to pray for those around us who are chasing false rewards. But we need to remember humility, and in that humility, we also need to be reflective. In what ways do we love what is worthless, chase after vanities, and pursue lies? Even beyond that, if we recognize the difference between those saved by God and those who have not turned toward him yet, we can celebrate even more the amazing grace of God that we have received. As Charles Spurgeon notes, Surely we too may stop a while and meditate upon the deep-seated folly of the wicked, their continuance in evil, and their sure destruction. 
and we may learn to admire that grace which has made us to differ and taught us to love truth and seek after righteousness. You can be sure of this. The Lord set apart the godly for himself. The Lord will answer when I call to him. Psalm 4, verse 3, NLT translation. In verse 3, David has already come to a place where he is reminded of who God is. That while the foolish and wicked and godless might be in pursuit of him, the Lord has set apart the godly or faithful for himself. In verse 1, David cries out for God to hear when he calls and answers prayer. Here in verse 3, David says, you can be sure of this. The Lord will answer when I call to him. If you are a Christian, you have been set apart by God. You have been rescued by God through the completed work of Jesus Christ. And through the Holy Spirit, you have a direct line to God through prayer. The Bible says that God will not just hear your call, but will also answer your prayers. Now, I want to be very clear that answered prayers don't always look like what we might want them to look like. But God hears and God answers. And the Bible even tells us that in moments when we might not have the right words to pray, that the Holy Spirit intercedes for us and can direct prayers upwards to God the Father that we can't find the language to articulate ourselves. This verse should be such a reassurance for us in our times of stress and anxiety. The next time you are feeling the pressure cooker of life's circumstances closing in around you, remember Psalm 4, verse 3. You can be sure of this. The Lord will set apart the godly for himself. The Lord will answer when I call to him. Tremble and do not sin. When you are on your bed, search your hearts and be silent. Offer the sacrifices of the righteous and trust in the Lord. Psalm 4, verses 4 through 5. Verse 4 might be one of my favorite reminder verses in the entire Bible. It appears that David has gone from speaking vertically to God to speaking horizontally to men to now speaking inwardly at himself as much as he is speaking outwardly. This is both a contemplative and an active verse. We should actively fight back sin. We should actively tremble in the fear of the Lord. We should actively pursue godly wisdom that leads to fear of the Lord. But we should also contemplatively reflect on where we are spiritually. When on your bed, search your hearts and be silent. There are times to be vocal and there are times to be silent. There are times when we might need to just lay on our beds and recognize where we might be living in sin. To recognize areas in our lives that we might not be giving fully to God. And just to take an assessment of our own hearts. Again, this comes back to the concept of humble introspection and biblical perspective. We won't be able to humbly and honestly evaluate ourselves if we can't first recognize who God is and that God deserves our first and our best. This goes straight into verse 5 about offering up righteous sacrifices. If Psalm 4 truly was written during Absalom's rebellion, then this verse might be seen as a direct contrast to 2 Samuel 15:12. 
This verse says, Absalom set for Ahithophel the Gilanite, David's counselor, for his city even from Gilo, while he was offering the sacrifices. The conspiracy was strong, for the people increased continually with Absalom. Here in Psalm 4, we get David, a godly man, professing to offer true sacrifices to the Lord, as opposed to Absalom and his ungodly men's false sacrifices. The NLT translates it, offering sacrifices in the right spirit. I evaluated these two verses together because they are both about having a faithful heart and a God-centered mindset. It's not just about the actions you take, but about what is driving those actions. Many are asking, who can show us anything good? Let the light of your face shine on us, Lord. Psalm 4, verse 6, CSB translation. The NIV translation has the many asking the question, who will bring us prosperity? This is such a relevant verse to today's world when everybody wants to find someone or something that can bring them prosperity and anything good. Worldly people are focused on where they can gain more things on how they can advance their desires, on how they can receive or consume more and more. The worldly mind is never content. It is never satisfied, and it always seeks to pursue more. It seeks after anything that might give it some semblance of satisfaction. To use a Hebrew word from the title of my podcast, the worldly seek after Hevel, these things that seem real and fulfilling but end up being temporary and fleeting. Worldly pursuits end up acting like vapor or mist that keeps slipping through your fingers. It never offers any lasting satisfaction. Charles Spurgeon says of the worldly focused that they are never satisfied. Their gaping mouths are turned in every direction. Their empty hearts are ready to drink in any fine delusion which imposters may invent. And when these fail, they soon yield to despair that there is no good thing in either heaven or earth. Okay, now contrast this with the second half of the verse, which has David and those who trust in God declaring, Let the light of your face shine on us, Lord. While the ungodly search for fleeting worldly indulgences, David speaks of how the godly search for God. It's a statement about contentment. God, I don't want to seek after prosperity and pleasure. Show me the light of your face. That alone would be enough for me. When we turn toward Jesus, are we seeking him or his stuff? Do we want him to be our own personal genie, granting us prayers of prosperity and pleasure and using Jesus just as a means to get into heaven where you can party for eternity? Or are we seeking Jesus for Jesus? The righteous man, the godly man, seeks Jesus as the reward for faith, not as a means to other things. I urge all of us to ask this question of ourselves. Are we the many asking for who can offer us prosperity to chase? Or are we the faithful who plead, Lord, let the light of your face shine on me because that alone would be enough. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and their wine abound. In peace I will both lie down and sleep, 
For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Psalm 4, verses 7 and 8, ESV translation. This psalm begins and ends with words directed straight at God. But notice the difference in tone between verse 1 and verses 7 and 8. Verse 1 contains pleas like, Answer me when I call and hear my prayer. While verses 7 and 8 contain reassuring and declarative statements like, You have put joy in my heart. In peace I will both lie down and sleep. And you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. I love it when prayers in the Bible do this. They start at a place of desperation and they end at a place of rest and trust. I love it because I feel like this is what I need. This is how I process things. I need to be reminded of who God is. And often that reminder comes from me openly dialoguing with God about my situations and allowing my reflections on God to bring me full circle to God. Verse 7 kind of plays off of verse 6 here. David declares that God has put more joy in his heart than what? Than when their grain and wine abound. Who is the there in this verse? It's the worldly people who seek prosperity and pleasure. Sure, they might have received their fill of wine and grain, but they don't receive that same level of contentment that David gets from the joy God has placed in his heart. There are places throughout the Bible that declare the wicked will drink but still be thirsty and eat but never be satisfied. And then there are verses in the Bible about being content with God and with what Jesus provides. Philippians 4 verses 12 and 13 say, I know how to be humbled, and I know also how to abound. In everything and in all things I have learned the secret both to be filled and to be hungry, both to abound and to be in need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Hebrews 13 verses 5 and 6 say, Be free from the love of money, content with such things as you have. For as he has said, I will in no way leave you, neither will I in any way forsake you. So that with good courage we say, The Lord is my helper, I will not fear, what can man do to me? 1 Timothy 6 verses 6 through 8 say, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we have brought nothing into the world, and we certainly can't carry anything out. But having food and clothing, we will be content with that. Verse 8 then brings the whole psalm to conclusion that because of everything David has reflected on, he declares that he can find peace and rest and trust in the Lord, the source of his ultimate security. This doesn't always look like the kind of worldly security that we might desire, by the way, but it's the security stemming from the reassurance that I am being kept by Jesus, my Savior. There is a Hebrew play on words here between trust in verse 5, batak, and safety in verse 8, Betak. The former is about having confidence in something, and the latter is about the reassurance and security that stems from the object of our confidence. That object must be God. We place our trust in God, having confidence in who He is. And then because of that confidence, we can rest in the security that God provides. All of this should be super reassuring to ponder in times of extreme pressure and severe hardship. As Christians, we are called to suffer as Christ has suffered. We will experience hardship. At times, we will live in conflict with the rest of the world, but we can trust in the security that 
only our God can provide, and that security doesn't stop at the end of this life. If you are a follower of Jesus, you are a recipient of eternal life, secured through the blood of Jesus on the cross. Let coming to Jesus be where we find our rest. Let him be the source of our peace. The Hebrew word for peace here is probably one many of you will recognize. It's the Hebrew word shalom, which carries a connotation of complete peace fulfilled fully by God. Resting in God is about open-handedly letting go of our situations, admitting that they aren't within our control, but that they are completely under the control of our God. In any relationship, it is impossible to have true trust if you don't let your guard down in open communication, right? It's no different when we're calling out to God. I find that the more I talk to God, the more I trust in God. The more I reflect on who he is, the more I can find reassurance in what he has done. Alec Ma'ir has a book that I would highly recommend. It's titled Psalms by the Day, and it's sort of a mix. It is a devotional-style walk through the Psalms, but it also has a lot of nerd-out-style commentary provided. In his book, Ma'ir notes some truths about who God is that we find in Psalm 4. That Yahweh is a God who answers prayer, who sets apart those he loves, protecting them, who gives a greater joy than anything on earth affords, and who keeps security and peace. At the end of this psalm, David professes that God alone is the source of his joy, his security, and his peace. My closing question then becomes, can you say that same thing? Do you believe that God can answer prayer? Do you trust in Jesus as your primary source of rest and peace and joy and security in spite of the circumstances that might be going on in your life? I pray that these things can be true of all of us. Thanks for listening. Unless otherwise noted, all Bible verses were from the World English Bible Translation, which is in the public domain. I tried to call out all of the different translations I used because I used a lot of different ones. I think I missed that the Psalm chapter 4 verses 4 through 5 quotes were from the NIV translation, by the way. So just kind of a footnote to stick in there. Until next time, though, I love you all.